are listening to New Life The Fort. We pray that this message encourages you and helps you stay Jesus-focused. Being in the know. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down, being in the know. And I want to read to you, I want to start with John 17, verse 3, New King James. It says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, contrary to what you may believe, is not about just going to heaven when we die. There is so much more to eternal life than that. And we've been talking the last few weeks about this resurrection life that you have, okay? So eternal life actually starts the moment you receive Jesus. That's when eternal life begins, okay? And eternal life, what's it about? It's about knowing God and Jesus Christ. So today, I'm going to be talking, what I feel like I want to focus on today is knowing God the Father. Pastor Mitch is going to do knowing God the Son, So if you want to come for part two of this verse, just stay seated after the service and you'll get part two. If you're a worker, you're really lucky because we've got two different messages today. So you get part one and part two all together. So go workers. (laughs) All right. So knowing the Father and this word know is the word ginosko. Okay. And it means it's basically the most intimate form of knowing. It means experiential knowledge. Or knowledge gained through intimacy, which means closeness with someone, okay? And so I want to talk about this, knowing God the Father intimately, experientially, all right? Now, we all know that, you know, Jesus came and Jesus did not actually introduce God as Father. There's actually 12 times in the Old Testament that God is referred to as Father, all right. So when he comes, he doesn't introduce him as father per se, but he reveals him. He reveals him as the father. While father is written, while God is referred to as father only 12 times in the Old Testament, Jesus comes and he talks about the father continuously. You know, he is all about the father's business, as we know, and he talks about the father over 150 times. So part of his main responsibility coming to earth is to reveal the heart of the Father, to make the heart of the Father known to us. Because at this time, these people, they were a little bit in the dark about God. They had some funny ideas about who God was. And how many of you know that there's still some funny ideas going around today about who God is? Okay, so what I want to talk to you today is knowing God the Father. We often think Jesus you know, is such a kind man and we separate him from God. But he is the express image of God. Amen. So the first thing that I want you to know is, well, let me read this to you. In John 20, 17, Jesus, this is after the resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead. Mary sees Jesus and Jesus makes this stunning statement. To Mary. He says, go to my brethren. Don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. So Jesus has just, you know, he is the first child of God. He shows us what it's like to be a child of God. 
okay? Then he goes, he gives himself at the cross. He takes his blood into the throne room of the Father and he makes a way now for us to enter into that intimate presence of the Father. He says, he's my Father and now he's your Father. The same relationship that Jesus has with the Father, he's saying, now you have with the Father. Okay, so this is what we have. And, you know, Jesus taught a lot before he went about the Father. And, you know, the disciples noticed Jesus having this intimate relationship with the Father. And they asked him, how many of you know Jesus was an awesome preacher? Would you like to be in one of Jesus' sermons? Yeah. The Bible says his words are like living water. I mean, how many of you think, I mean, Jesus was a healer, right? He did awesome miracles. But, you know, the disciples, when they came to Jesus, what they asked Jesus, they didn't ask him, Lord, teach us how to be a good preacher. And they didn't say, Lord, teach us how to do miracles like you do. They came to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray. They noticed this intimacy that Jesus had with the Father, that he would spend all night in the presence of his Father. And he would come and he would live and he would reveal the heart of the Father, doing miracles, preaching, teaching about the Father. So they said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus begins to teach them how to talk to the Father like he does. And this is what he says in Matthew 6, 5, message. See, all they had seen at this point is the Pharisees talking to God. And the the way the Pharisees talked to God is they would stand on the street corners and they would pray these elaborate prayers. They weren't really praying to God. They were just praying for the performance of man. This is all they had seen up until Jesus coming. And so this is what Jesus says. He says, I don't want you to talk to God like that. That's not how you talk to God. That's not relationship. This is how I talk to God. This is how you do it. He says in verse 5, when you come before God, don't turn, that into the- don't turn it into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? What's he saying? He's saying when you come before God, you can't perform. You can't impress God. There's not, how many of you know there's nothing we can do to impress God? God is already impressed with you because you are his son. You are his daughter. You are a child of God. So we don't do anything to impress him. But Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. How many of you know when we talk to God, there's no formulas, there's no strategies, there's no number one, two, three. He says, this is your father you're dealing with. And he knows better than you what you need. When you come to God, this is your dad you're talking about. He knows the hairs on your head. 
He knows what you need before you do. He says, with a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. And then he goes in to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Okay? Now, what is he saying? He's just saying, when you come before God and you pray and you talk to God, just keep it real. Keep it real. This is your dad you're talking to. Have you ever heard a child pray? If you want to know how to pray to dad, God your father, just listen to the way a kid prays. Because kids don't mince words, right? They say things how they are. Like, moms, how many of you know, if you want to know if you, do I look okay today? You ask your husband, he says yes. If you really want to know, ask your child. They'll tell you the truth. Mom, your hair looks funny. Or whatever, you know. Kids are just, they're honest. And Jesus is saying, when you come before God, he's your dad. Just be real, be honest. You know, Pastor Mitch tells us stories about Rafa, their, their youngest son, praying. And she says, he starts, saying, she, he starts saying, Lord, thank you for Daddy. Thank you for Mommy. Thank you for Sammy. Then he proceeds to go on and name every person that he knows. All the NCK teachers, all the friends, I think Gabe and I get a mention. <laughs> and then when he runs out of names, he goes back to, Lord, thank you for Daddy. Thank you for Mommy. So it's a long night for those guys. So maybe you can pray for them. And if you have two or three-year-olds, you know what I'm talking about. Listen to the way they pray. Jesus is saying, that is how you do it. That is how you come before God, just like a child. God does not want your performance. He wants your heart. He wants to have a heart-to-heart with you. You are spirit. God is spirit. We worship him in spirit and in truth, spirit to spirit, heart to heart. You know, when you have a heart to heart talk with someone, it means you're really simple and honest. And when we come to God, we just want to have a heart to heart. And I was thinking about this, having a heart to heart with God. How many of you have heart to heart chats with God? Awesome. You know, there's this lady in the Bible called Hannah and she she had this intense heart-to-heart conversation with God. You know, her situation was she was barren for many years. She didn't have any kids. And she and her husband went up to a place called Shiloh. Shiloh was a place where the presence of God was at that time. Okay, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was, back in the Old Testament, before they built the temple. The presence of God was in Shiloh. So her and her husband went up there, to make sacrifice. And Hannah prayed to the Lord. And the Bible says that she prayed so earnestly. It says actually that she poured her heart out before the Lord. If you guys go there, verse 15. The Bible says she pours out her heart. She's having a heart-to-heart with God. She's in a desperate situation. And her prayer is so intense. It's like she's the only person in the room. And it's just like she's just with God. She, she doesn't worry about anyone else. And the Bible says that Eli the priest looks at her and thinks that she's drunk. Because her mouth is, is like this, but nothing's coming out. Because she's praying heart to heart. God can hear her. She's praying from her heart, but there's nothing coming out of her mouth. And Eli says, woman, get your drink away from you. You're drunk. And she says, sorry, I'm not drunk. I'm just, 
I'm distressed and I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord. And the thing that I, I love about this story is Shiloh, what happens is she goes away and she has a child. And then she has five more kids after that. But what I want you to see from this story is Hannah means grace. Hannah goes to a place called Shiloh. Shiloh means rest. We enter the presence of God by his grace, and the presence of God is a place of rest. If you came in here stressed today, let me tell you, enter into the presence of God. It is a place of rest. Gabe said restoration. Restoration is found in a place of rest, which is the presence of God. God is always speaking to us. But sometimes we're so busy, we don't hear. But when you're at rest, you hear. When God wanted to speak to Samuel, Samuel was laying down, resting. He said, God, your servant here, speak. So when we come into the presence of God, let me encourage you, it is a place of rest. You know, God is not I was or I'm going to be. God is I am. When you come into his presence, he is present as I am. Meaning when you come into that presence, he is what you need him to be at that moment. Now, when you have intimacy with the eternal one, eternal fruit is always produced. And I'm shoveling over to Jesus now. (laughs) But, you know, when you enter the presence of God, in that intimacy, things are always conceived. Something is conceived. Something is added. Something is deposited. Now, in the natural, when a woman, when there is conception, you can't see anything. You can't feel anything. But nine months later, you see the child. It's the same when we are in the intimate presence of the Lord. There is a conception. Something, is, something happens in that place. You may not feel it. You may not see it. But later on, the fruit is revealed. That's what happens when we have intimacy with the Lord. But anyway, this is what happens with Hannah. She comes before the throne of grace. And how many of you know when you come before God, the throne of grace, it's like you're the only one there. You know, when you come to the throne of grace, it's not like I see Gabe there and Pastor Mitch there and Jay and Earl. No, it's just me and God. He is a personal God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He he sees you. Okay? So what you need to know about God is he is dad, not just dad, daddy. Jesus calls him daddy. And Romans 8, there's this term Jesus uses. It's Abba. You may have heard it before. Abba is Aramaic for daddy. It's the most intimate name for God. And this is the name that Jesus uses for God the Father. Okay, And he says, this is the name that he's now given to us. Romans 8, 14, starting 15. It says, for you, who, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So Jesus called God Abba, Daddy. Now when you were born again, that same spirit came and lived on the inside of you. 
That spirit in you testifies that you're a child of God. And that spirit cries out in the same way Jesus does with the Father. You're also a child of God too now. Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. That's us. So now the spirit of God lives in us too and we cry out, Daddy, Father. You know, Sammy was just saying that to Pastor Alvin in the, in the thing. Daddy, Daddy. And so when you come before God, he is creator and he is awesome and he is all-powerful, but he is Daddy. You know, you want to know when, when Jesus uses this word Abba, Daddy? This word Abba is used only three times. Twice it's referring to us. One time it's, it's showing Jesus using the word daddy. And it happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you guys go there, it's in Mark 14. Starting in verse 33. He's going to the garden. It says he, took, he takes Peter, James and John with him and says he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. This is Jesus. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Then he went a little further and fell on the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the arrow might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus is struggling He is distressed to the point where we know he sweats blood. He doesn't know what to do. He's backed into a corner. And you know when that this is a time where he comes to God and he doesn't call him father, he calls him daddy. And in the same way, you know what, when you are backed into a corner, when you are distressed, stressed, when you don't know what to do, You don't come to him as creator or almighty, though he is. You come to him as daddy. You run into his arms. And in his arms, you find what you need. You know, when Jesus, he came into that place weak. But an angel of the Lord came and gave him strength. He left the presence of God strong. He came into that presence not knowing what to do. But when he left that presence, he knew what to do. I'm going to the cross. And, you know, I declare that for people in this place, as you get into the presence of God, not knowing what to do, when you come into that presence, to the throne of grace, where you find grace, mercy in your time of need, when you leave that presence, you know what to do. When you come in there weak, you leave strong. When you come in there confused, you leave thinking clearly. That's what happens in the presence of God. We cannot know God without being with him. We can know about him. I can tell you all about him. You know, but we know him when we spend time with him. He reveals who he is to us. Amen. So that's number one. You need to know that God is Abba. He's daddy. You need to know that about the father. And number two, you need to know that God is for you. And you guys are all looking at me like, yeah, I know that. (laughs) But you know what? Sometimes when we go through life and things happen, we begin to question this. In Romans 8, 31, Amplified. What then shall we say to all this? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be our foe if God is on our side? He who did not withhold or spare even his only son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him freely and graciously give us all other things? You know, one of the biggest lies I believe that Christians start to believe is this. God is withholding from you. How many of you at some point in your life have had that thought? God is withholding. I I have. We know, you know, we know he's able, but sometimes we question if he's willing. Sometimes we think he's withholding. Okay, we know Jesus revealed the Father and showed that he's very much willing. Okay, but this lie that comes in is that God is withholding. And do you know where that comes from? It comes from the enemy. It started in the garden. He planted this same thought in, in the mind of Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, the very first words that Satan says is he says to Eve, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Did God really say that you can't eat of every tree? Now what's he trying to do? What thought is he trying to plant? He's trying to say, God's holding out on you. God's withholding something good from you. That's the thought he tries to plant. And if you're honest, you'll say, I've had that thought try to be planted in my head before too, that God is withholding something good from me. And if you think about that, if you allow that thought to come in, then the follow-up thought that comes after that is, well, why is God withholding from me? We think, and that makes you look at yourself, it must be me. I must have done something wrong. There must be sin in my life. But think about this for a minute. You know, let's dissect that thought. If God is withholding from you because there's sin in your life, that disregards everything that the Bible says. That undermines the gospel. Because Jesus came, he shed his blood to wash you clean of your sin. The gospel, the Bible says that God remembers your sin no more. When he looks at you, he does not see your sin and your imperfection. He sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. So how can God withhold from you because of your sin? That's a lie. That is such a lie, but so many people believe that. God sees you perfectly. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with you. Is there anything wrong with Jesus? Then there's nothing wrong with you. You are in Christ. So you know what? God is not withholding you from you because of sin. Do you know why God was withholding that tree? Let's think about this. There was one tree in the garden they couldn't eat. He said, you can freely, freely eat of every tree in the garden. But there's one tree that you cannot eat of. Why did he withhold that one tree? Any ideas? I will take answers. Would you like me to... uh... Any ideas? Why did he withhold that one tree? Did you hear the other service? Spirit of God just spoke to you just then. The, The reason God withheld that one tree is because that one tree was going to bring death if they ate of it. It was bad is what she said. There's only one tree that he withheld and that's because that one tree was going to cause them to die. It was not going to bring life. 
It was going to bring death and destruction. Now, in the same way, if God is withholding something from you, it's only because it's not going to cause you life. It's going to cause death and destruction. To withhold means you hold something back. God does not withhold good. He withholds bad. If he's withholding something, it's because it's going to cause you destruction. The Bible says in Psalm 80-something, it says, God, 84, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace, which leads to glory. No good thing. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's you, child of God. Who walks uprightly? That's talking about the righteous. Raise your hand if you're righteous in this place. Let me tell you, God does not withhold any good thing from you. He only withholds the bad. He only withholds the bad. And, you know, I was praying about this. And how many of you guys in here, you like Christmas? And if you don't raise your hand, you're lying because Filipinos love Christmas. Because I've been here for Christmas before and it is a circus. <laughs> we tried to buy gifts at Christmas time and we were like, let's just give cash next year. It's out of control. And in a good way, Filipinos are so generous. You guys just want to give gifts to everyone. And that's part of what we love about, about Filipinos. You guys are the most generous people, I think, in the whole world. You'll share anything. You'll share your food. You'll share your clothes. You'll share everything. It's not like that where we're from. You know where we're from? If you try to eat someone else's food, they will slap you. They are not generous. <laughs> but you guys are. And you love to, how many of you love to give gifts? You know your heavenly father loves to give gifts. But I'm talking about knowing the father. And there's so many things about the father that have come from the world. They come from religion. They don't come from the word, but they've filtrated our society and they've begun to come into our minds and hearts also. And they're not the word of God. Let me give you an example. Christmas time, how many of you know this song? It goes, um, he's making a list, checking it twice. Gotta find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Hey, you know the song, right? I told them earlier, will you accept me on the worship team? It's the anointing of Pastor Josel. Sorry, I'm like spitting everywhere. Shower for the front row. No, I wanted to actually be a drummer. Because I like the way they get aggressive on the drums. But I said before, maybe the worship team will be better for me. But you know that song, right? You sing that here, right? Now, the problem I have with that song is it says, it's saying that Santa Claus, who in my culture, we call him Father Christmas, okay? Father Christmas. He only gives gifts to kids that are, you know, he has a list, naughty or nice. He only gives gifts to kids that are nice. Now, how many dads in here today? Yeah, it's not a sin to be a dad. Now, how many dads in here, you only give gifts, when Christmas comes around, you only give gifts to your kids that are nice. So maybe like half your kids. 
you, you don't, you, you select <laughs> every second one or, no. When Christmas, how many dads in here know that kids are not nice all the time? If your kids, if you think your kids are nice all the time, blinded by love. <laughs> all kids are naughty sometimes. How many know we're just kids that grew up a little bit in bigger bodies? We're all naughty sometimes. And so you don't give gifts to your kids according to whether they're naughty or nice. You give gifts to your kids because they're your kids. You give them to all your children. Now the Bible says if you being a natural father know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more your heavenly father? God does not give gifts based on whether you're naughty or nice. He gives you gifts based on the fact that you are a child of God. You are his son. You are his daughter. His giving is not based on your performance. His giving is based on the performance of Jesus Christ, the perfect child of God. And so you can be guaranteed, assured that you're going to get a gift every Christmas. He gives good gifts in perfect time. Amen. So, but can you see how that thinking just, it just comes in? You know, that's not correct knowledge of the Father. But you know, I have another problem about Christmas. My other problem about Christmas is anyone ever write a um, wish list? I mean, we all did that, right? Your parents, well, you wrote it for Father Christmas. Santa. Do you call him Santa or Father Christmas? Santa American. (laughs) So, you know... You write it for, for Santa, but then you find out when you're older that it's actually mom and dad. And I don't know about you, when I found out that Santa was mom and dad, I was very annoyed. <laughs> what kind of parents lie to their children? <laughs> anyway, they get you to write a wish list, right? And, you know, they do that because this is what I think they do that for. Because mom and dad, they can't, I mean, why don't they just tell you, one, what do you want for Christmas? One thing. You know why I think they tell you to write a list? Because they want to make sure they can afford at least one thing on your list. They look through the list and they're like, number one, can't do that. Number two, can't do that. They get down. Maybe number four, they can afford. So you're guaranteed to not be disappointed because you've got something on your list. But again, I have a problem with this because I don't think God is like that. You know what I think about God? It's not us that write the wish list and give it to God. You know what I think? I think it's God who writes the wish list. God writes the wish list and then God gives it to you. And he says, what do you want? (laughs) You're like trying not to look at me. What do you want? God gives you the wish list and he says, what do you want? He says, you can have whatever you want. Whatever you want. You can give the Lord a clap. You know what? The Bible says that all of the promise of, promises of God, that's every promise in this book, is yes in Christ. Anyone in here in Christ? If you believe in Jesus, that means you're in Christ. That's your position. If you are in Christ, then every promise in this book is yes to you. You guys show the scripture, 1 Corinthians 2. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, 
which means, yes, ascends to God for his glory. So God gives you the list. He says, if you're in Christ, it's yes. What's your job? You just say, amen. Amen means so be it. It means, yes, I agree. It's like God saying yes and you saying yes. You're giving him permission to bless you. Okay, you're agreeing with God. When you say so be it, it means I'll take it. You know, the word for it, the the Bible says we are called. We're called by God. That word called actually means called to a banquet. Many are called, few are chosen. God calls, and this word calls is klesis, and it means calls to a huge feast, a huge banquet. That is what salvation is. It's a huge banquet, and God says you can eat what you like. You can eat as much as you like. He calls you to a feast. He calls you to eat at the table. Many are called few are chosen. Few are chosen, you choose. He calls all. You choose if you want to respond. That's the chosen part. You say, yeah, I'll come. Remember the parable about this? He calls everyone. The Jews don't come. All these people don't come. They've got all these excuses. He ends up saying, he ends up saying go out to the hedges and the highways and bring in whoever will come. He calls everyone. You choose if you want to respond. And the word of God, you choose what you want to eat. You can get as fat on the promises of God as you want. And the Bible says the word of God is like a seed. It's actually not a wish list, you know. It's a sure list. Because when you take that word, it's like a seed. It's a seed that gets planted in your heart. Remember, the word of God is seed. You take it. And it gets planted in your heart. How many of you know that in the seed contains the harvest? The harvest is already contained in the seed. So when you say, amen, I'll take it, I'll receive that word, and you put that seed in your heart, the harvest is guaranteed. It's already in there. You're just waiting for it to manifest. You're waiting for it. And some of you might be in here and you might have been waiting for a while. Anyone being, you have a promise, you see it, you said amen, but you don't have it yet. Yeah, And that's why we have to be really careful to guard our hearts and filter everything through the heart of the Father. Because the Father is not withholding. The harvest is coming. It is a sure thing. You know, one Christmas, my parents would put the gifts under the tree. One Christmas, um, we all went out there. And my brothers and sisters all had gifts, but I didn't have a gift. And they were opening their gifts, and I was like, didn't know whether to cry or be really angry. And how many of you, sometimes when you're waiting for something and you don't see it, have you, have you ever felt like God left you out? You know, like, I've been waiting for this God, I don't see it. Everyone else is getting what they're believing for, but I... You know, what about me? It isn't fair. I don't know the rest of the song. Pastor Giselle, what if he was here? You know, have you ever been like that to God? God, what about me? Did you forget about me? And how many of you ever got angry with God before? Let's be honest. Isn't it funny that we never get angry with Jesus? Jesus said, if you've known me, you've known the Father. So why do we get angry with God? (laughs) 
you know. God is in Jesus. Jesus is in God. They're one, you know. But religions put this bad light on the Father. But you know what? We have to guard against being angry. You know what happened? I, I, I went into my mum and dad's room and I, and I was mad. I said, Dad, where's my gift? You know, angry, crying, upset. Have you ever felt like that with God? But you know what my dad said? He said, Katie, relax. Calm down. Do you really think we would have forgotten about you? He said, your, your present is not under the tree because it's too big. It doesn't fit under the tree. It's outside on the lawn. So I went outside and I've got a bike, you know, like a push bike. So if you're still waiting for your gift, what you're believing for, don't be discouraged. It's too big to fit under the tree. It's gaining interest. It just means it's a huge harvest. So wait for it. It will not tarry. It will come. God shall fulfill the word that he gave to you. It's just too big to fit under the tree. You know, God's gifts are bigger than you know. He's a big God. He doesn't give small. You may ask him for something, but he's thinking way bigger than you are. Remember, his plan for your life is big. So number two is you need to know that God is not withholding from you. That's your father. And the last thing I want you to know about the father is we need to know the father's embrace. We need to know the embrace of heaven. And one of the best pictures of the father we have is um, obviously the story of the prodigal son. We all know that story about the prodigal son. And if you guys go there to this one verse... Luke 15, 20. It says, So he got up and came to his own father. This is a prodigal son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was moved with pity and tenderness for him, and he ran and embraced him, kissed him fervently. Now, we were singing before we run into his arms, you know. You know, when you decided to believe on Jesus and you turned and you looked the father's direction, what you're going to see is he was already running for you. He was running for you, skirt hitched up and all. Olden day dads, that's what they would wear. And the Bible says that he came and he embraced him. Sample. <laughs> Embrace. Okay. Wearing my heels today, I'm tall. He's a secure man. He doesn't mind that I'm tall embraced him. And the Bible says he kissed him fervently. I'm not done with you yet. This word kiss means continually kiss him. Like It's the same word as the kissing when the, um, the woman, yeah, she poured the oil on Jesus and she dried with the hair and she kissed him. She kept kissing his feet. It's like God is pouring out his love on you and he doesn't stop. He just kept kissing the sun. Can you imagine the sun is like just being in the pig? thing. Pigs eat trash. We used to have pigs and they really stink. So this son, he would have been stinking, muddy, yet the father doesn't care. The father just wraps him up in this man embrace. And what, what does that embrace say? The word embrace means if you embrace an idea, it means you accept it. You accept that idea. I I embrace that concept. I embrace that. So the embrace of the father meant what? It meant, son, you are accepted. 
you are accepted. This is a picture of when you believed in Jesus, you came home. The Father God, he embraced you and he says to you, you are accepted. This is where life for the believer begins, in the arms of the Father. It must start in this place of knowing that you're accepted. If you do not know, if you do not start your Christian life from that place, you know, think about it. In the natural, your kids, they need that. They need to know that the dad, the father accepts them. Otherwise, they go out and they seek that acceptance from other places. And it's the same as us as believers. If, if we don't feel, if we don't let God the Father embrace us from the very beginning and we don't feel that acceptance from the Father, we go out and we, we look for it elsewhere. We seek it from people. And that's a really dangerous place to live. God wants you to know today that you are accepted in the beloved. The way that God sees Jesus, he sees you. Is Jesus pleasing to the Father? Does the Father approve of Jesus? Is Jesus accepted? Then so are you. You are pleasing to the Father. Now, is God always pleased with what we do? No. But he is pleased with you. Is what we do always acceptable? No, but you are accepted. You know, is what we do always approving? No, but you are approved. He approves of you because you are his kid and you're in Christ. Okay, so we have to, you know, that's how Christian life starts and it shouldn't end. We live out of the Father's embrace. We have to live out of that place. And in John 10, 28, New Living says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. You know, last week I woke up every morning. How many, how many of you have ever seen those Ann Gettys pictures? of like naked babies and they put them in weird places. They take pictures of her. Gabe thinks it's weird. Most women think it's cute. But have you ever seen a picture like of a baby in the hand of a father? Yeah? You know the picture I'm talking about? Well, every, I sleep like that, curled up like a baby. And every morning I've been waking up last week, I feel like I'm just in the embrace of the father. The constant embrace of the Father. You start in that place and you don't graduate. You live from that place of being embraced by the Father, that place of acceptance. You know, how do you describe God? Let me end with this. How do you describe him? For you. I mean, we all have different pictures in our mind of how we see God, you know, and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You know, I see Jesus as like this knight in shining armor that come to rescue us. But I see God the Father as like this BFG. I see God the Father as huge, like a big friendly giant. I was listening to this thing the other day, and this girl said that she sees the Holy Spirit as a genie. And I was like, weird. 
I see the Holy Spirit as like fire, maybe. Okay? But how do you describe him? You know? You can't see God the Father. We see him through Jesus. So how do you describe him? One word. If you could take one word. Think of it in your head. He's healer. He's provider. He's awesome. All of these things. But, you know, if you could describe him in one word, the Bible puts it like this. God is love. All that he is is contained in that word, love. Love is who God is. So when God embraces you, love embraces you. You are embraced in a love sandwich between God the Father and Jesus the Son. And from that place of acceptance and love, you will go out and you will live your life very, very boldly. John 1, 4, 17, message. Go to the verse before it. I guess it's 16. God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. When God embraces you, when love embraces you, there is no room in there for fear. The perfect love of God casts out all fear. That's why we start from that place of love and acceptance. Because then we go out and we live bold. You know, I said this in the first service. I'm not a very bold person. I'm very not bold. The only reason I can stand... You guys think that's funny. (laughs) The only reason I can stand here is because I know that I am being embraced by love. Every single morning. And I believe, you know, Gabe talked about the embrace of the dad last week. And so... Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I believe that the Father, maybe you never, you were never maybe embraced by your, your dad. And you never maybe knew that you're accepted by your, your physical dad. But God wants you to know today that he embraces you. And he accepts you just like you are. You come to him as you are and he wraps his arms around you. So let me pray for you right now. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you've given us the ability to know you through the Son. That the Son revealed you. And the Son was inclusive. He never left anyone out. He accepted everyone. The the, the Son never withheld from anyone. You know, he always gave freely. And I thank you that you sent the Son to reveal your heart. And I just pray for every person in this place today that maybe has not yet experienced your embrace, that they would experience that embrace right now. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would embrace every person in this room, that they would feel the embrace of heaven, and that as they leave here today, they would know without a shadow of a doubt 
that it doesn't matter how they came in, they're accepted by you. Doesn't matter what they've done, they're accepted by you. You're pleased with them. You're thrilled with them. You rejoice over them with singing. You delight in them, that they are your precious child and that they are enveloped in love, your love. So I thank you, Father, just for revealing that to every person in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know what? If you're here today and you know what? Our relationship with Father God was was broken through sin, but Christ came to restore that relationship with the Father. The Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. And so if you're here today and you don't, relationship with the Father comes through relationship with the Son. Okay? The Son revealed Him. So if you don't have relationship with the Son and your heart is burning today and you know you need that, then with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for you to receive Jesus into your your heart. Make him Lord of your life. This one that gave you access to the Father, the presence of God. If that's you today and you want a relationship with Jesus, restoring your relationship with the Father, just raise your hand really quickly so I can pray for you. Is there anyone in here? I see your hand, sir. Is there anyone else? I see your hand, sir. You're not raising your hand to me. You're just raising your hand to Jesus. He sees you. If you're in the Life Center and you want to pray this prayer also and receive Jesus Christ, the one who restored your relationship with the Father, then just repeat this prayer after me. What you believe in your heart, we speak out of our mouth. So I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer. And congregation, let's pray this along with them. If that's you and you want to pray this prayer, just say, Father, Dad, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me, to shed his blood for me, to wash away my sin so that I could be found in him and I could be accepted by you and I could come into your presence and enjoy restored relationship with you. I receive new life today. And I thank you that I have a wonderful future to look forward to as a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, follow us on social media or visit our website at newlifebefore.com. 